Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. I'm here with my family, family, it's a great night to be a Tiger. I'm here with my family, my family's been here a long time, I'm here with my family, suck it, suck it, suck it, suck it, suck it, I'm here with my family, I'm here with my family, and we are so excited to be in the great state of Louisiana. The um, decision that um, came about after spending time with my family. I'm here with my family. My Lord, this muggy November weather gives me the horribles. Robert, this here is velvet, not velvetine. A gentleman must learn the difference. My Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for tonight's episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Chris Nee, Zach Blossine. Fellas, it's uh it's almost game time here. Before we get into the preview of LSU and FSU, we got some recruiting notes to go over. We want to do some updates on practice. Uh, but first, I think the big news of the evening is that the contract extension that Mike Norvell agreed to with Florida State back in mid-December is indeed legitimate and real. And uh, I think we believed that it would eventually you know, be the case, but it apparently happened a lot earlier than expected. Chris, uh, did, did buyers to know, did you think this was a real ink to paper deal when it was announced on December 14th? I was very much in the middle of those two. I, uh, I'm not going to play your silly games, sir, but I, I wasn't sure. I mean, it kind of it was a little out of the blue, a little bit odd timing. You know, I, I just it made me wonder at the moment. So what ends up happening is uh, it is signed. A contract is signed the day after. I'm not sure why terms weren't out. Like, I feel like I. I feel like I asked for them fairly late like this this week and got them. I'm surprised that no one else had asked uh, beforehand. But anyways, uh, yeah, it's a one-year extension, which was announced. Uh, so it gives Mike Norvell seven years at Florida State. Uh, nothing in terms of buyout on Florida State's end seemed to change based on the uh, amendment. I think the big note is based on uh, my reading of the contract, which is not always uh, the cleanest. Right, Chris? Is that Mike Norvell? Like that, the, that these oh, – you're grumpy today. Uh, is that the salary – uh, for Mike Dravel will be just under seven million. It'll be six million seven hundred eighty-five thousand, uh, which is a fairly sizable jump from what he's making in year six, which is in the five million range. So, uh, this yeah. man who's taken some pay cuts previously, uh, and uh, at least in the pandemic year. So, I think this is kind of a, a show of faith, a good effort on Florida State's end. Yeah, we all have to get there too. What does that mean? Like 
for year seven, uh, the financial matters of year seven. For oh, matter. We actually for, have to get to, there. Like, like it is what it is. We're in year three. We'll see where it takes us. Well, not to put too much on a singular game, but this is an important game for Mike Norvell for this program uh, and for recruiting, in my opinion. There's been some interesting talking points uh, on the Knowles 24-7 message board about the significance of the upcoming game against LSU from a recruiting standpoint. Zach, curious to get your thoughts uh, as we kind of delve into like who's going to be in attendance and what this game can mean for Florida State if, if the Seminoles show well. And we saw last year they showed well against Notre Dame. Uh, what would it mean, I guess, to, to go ahead and win this game and, and who will be in attendance if uh, that does indeed happen for the Seminoles? Yeah, I mean, it would be massive. Um, I don't think it even just impacts the guys in attendance uh, in person at the game. I mean, this is going to be primetime television, the only game um, on television at the time on Sunday night. So everyone would be tuned in, um, especially guys that are really interested in Florida State. I think the FSU staff will encourage those guys to watch. And a win would just be massive. Um, for guys that are in attendance, Hiking Williams is one um, that we've talked about at length. He's making a decision later this month. I believe it's the 23rd or the 27th, something like that. Um, he He's, I mean, FSU's top remaining realistic target, regardless, you know, regardless of position. And I think a win against LSU would go a long way in, in trying to to secure his signature. Um, Texas A&M is kind of viewed as the, as the top team there. Uh, Florida State's kind of running um, second or third there. In my opinion, I think they've made up a lot of ground, especially after getting him on campus for that end of July visit. Uh, he was in Tallahassee for about four days. But a win would be massive, especially if they can show off um, the strides that Jordan Travis has made as a passer, throwing to an improved receiver unit um, with guys like Johnny Wilson, Micah Pittman, Deuce Span, and others um, that they added this offseason. So, um, yeah, for a guy like that, it'd be massive. And they got a few other guys coming in. There's a recruiting – there's a visitor list up on 247. It's not a huge list. Um, the, you know, there, there's some issues with, with getting guys there just because um, FSU can't, you know, expense their their stays. They're not really hosting these recruits. They're basically giving them free tickets um, and their families free tickets to attend, um, but they can't pay for their hotel or whatever. Uh, else they, they might expense uh, while in town. So um, the hotel prices are kind of lofty if you haven't um, checked for yourself for those that are going. I'm sure you guys know. For recruits, that, that that's kind of hard, a hard thing to uh, to handle um, on their own sometimes. So there, we got like six names up. The other biggest name is, is five-star 2024 running back commit Cam Davis. Um, he's been committed to FSU for, um, I think, going on almost two years now. Um, been Been a long-time commit. He's, a, he's the real deal in that class. Alabama, Georgia, other schools are trying to, you know, flip him. And I think a good season this season, starting with that LSU game, um, would, would go a long way in trying to, to secure that one up. Obviously a long way until he signs because he's, he, he's, you know, far out from a decision. Um, he's not in the current class. He's in 2024. Um, in the 2023 class, the, the only other uncommitted guy that's expected in is uh, Colorado three-star linebacker commit C.J. Turner. He's a guy that Florida State's evaluating. They have not offered yet, to my knowledge. Um, they're, they're, you know, still trying to see how he does in his first couple of games of his senior year. But they're clearly showing enough interest, and he's showing that reciprocal interest by coming back um, and, and going to see Florida State live in action um, on Sunday. So um, you can go check out the, the rest. There's just a, so a few other FSU commits that are expected to be there. But a win would be massive for Mike Norvell and this staff as they look to – kind of top off this class. They have a few high-profile targets like a Blake Nicholson, like Hakeem Williams, 
DJ Chester is another guy that's considering both school. He, he won't be at the game, but he's a guy that that is really high on Florida State and LSU. Um, I think his crystal ball is actually leaning LSU right now. So, you know, an FSU win there could, could um, make the difference in that recruitment. Who knows? Um, I'm sure he'll be tuned in, even though he won't be there live. Uh, but but it'll have massive recruiting implications, uh, you know, based on how FSU performs in that game. I, I find it hard to envision a scenario in which Florida State gets Hiking Williams without winning uh, okay. against LSU. Sorry, college football started this evening, and I already have uh, friends text me about UCF game. So I'm. How are they I'm doing? Uh, the text was uh, expletive. Plumlee is fast, so I guess well. Based on that okay. initial one, yeah. <laughs> so it'd be a safe, a safe bet. Yeah, I'm trying to get us out of here before the backyard brawl at eight. Uh, football is like here; it's great, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, but back to the hiking Williams point. Like, I find it hard to envision a, a scenario in which Florida State gets someone of his stature without winning a game like this, especially with his commitment date uh, later in September. I mean, we're in the month of September now; like, it, it's coming soon. I think you have to show well, uh, show improved passing attack, show what you can do with guys like uh, Johnny Wilson, assuming he plays. Uh, do span whoever whoever is the one you dial up uh, stuff for you got to kind of show like this what we do creatively we have quarterbacks who can get you the ball all that good stuff uh do we know if, is Jalen brown going uh for lsu side he is but he's expected to use an lsu ticket yes yeah but still that's someone like if you show well and you win like that's someone you're still in in for so uh the only other recruiting note that i want to throw out there and posting it Two Knowles 24-7 shortly here, uh, but that's that Emory Williams uh, will be evaluated today. There'll be a couple of prospects FSU is checking out for tonight's game between Pensacola Catholic uh, and Milton uh, and a panhandle matchup there. Uh, who will be there, Zach, or I guess who? what players uh, are worth talking about other than, than Emory Williams, which we'll get to in a second? Yeah, so the other two I would note is FSU defensive back commit Jabril Rawls is going to be on the, that Pensacola Catholic squad. Um, he's a guy that has great length. Um, it'll be interesting to see how, how he kind of matches up against this other guy that I'm about to talk about, Georgia four-star receiver commit, um, Raymond Cottrell. He was formerly formerly committed to UF. Um, he had actually named FSU his leader back last summer, I believe. His recruitment's been everywhere. Um, but then he uh, later decommitted from UF and then committed to Georgia. Um, but, but I'm told that he's still actually communicating with the FSU staff. And a visit down the line would not be a surprise. Um, but, 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 yeah, and that's yeah, correct. Every, September 1st does start that. Another kid that's with Catholic is Kobe Howard. I don't think he'll be playing. I believe he's still coming back from an injury he suffered over the summer. I know he was around the team last week wearing a boot for them. But he's a kid that very, very high interest in FSU. He's going to be a national recruit in the 2025 class. Uh, Emory Williams is significant to see in person, I think. FSU's quarterback board is currently pretty thin uh, after Brock Len picked Ohio State and, and Chris Parson decommitted. Uh, Emory is committed to Miami currently, but there are two quarterbacks in that class. Uh, so if that's a player that Florida State 
ends up liking. I could totally see a scenario in which in the Seminoles start making a full court press uh, because he's a panhandle kid. Uh, because you could say you're the only quarterback currently in this class. Uh, Jaden Rashada, Jaden Rashada, excuse me, uh, committed about a week after Emory committed to Miami. Uh, there's something that you can have some appeal with on the recruiting trail. I believe that Auburn and our Auburn science report is on this quite a bit is interested in Emory Williams. I would imagine that there's some reciprocal uh, interest uh, there. I'm not sure on the Florida state side, but being able to lay eyes on him in person and, is an important development. If it's going to happen, I think this is a step in that direction. Let's see. Moving on. One more. I guess it's not a recruiting item. I guess it kind of is. It's going to transition us into to recruiting a team, and that's that Keziah Holmes, the former four-star recruit, running back recruit from Coco, who was at Penn State the last two years, has transferred to Florida State. He's enrolled. He's practicing with the Seminoles. FSU added him to the official roster of uh, that was broken on 24-7 sports by Chris Hummer earlier this week. Uh, fellas, I guess the significance of, of Keziah Holmes, uh, is that a uh, – it's getting a lot of fanfare. Is that something you guys agree with in terms of his potential impact? He was pretty highly rated coming out of high school. Yeah, very highly thought about of high school. I think the key for him is just come in, be a part of the team, get yourself in good shape, see where the chips may fall. It's not going to be this year, but maybe down the road. Yeah, I think I think he can be a guy that helps, um, you know, kind of scout team right now. Um, and, and maybe he he follows a similar trend as a guy like Treshawn Ward or CJ Campbell as a guy that walks on and, and kind of um, becomes a contributor down the line. He definitely was really talented in high school. Um, he had some good moments at, at Penn State, his previous stop. And um, there's some clips on Twitter that I retweeted, I believe that um, some some practice clips. And he also had uh, a few uh, plays during games um, that were pretty impressive. So um, we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll get, we'll lay eyes on him all season, kind of see how he progresses um, because he got in late, didn't really get to participate in any of fall camp. Um, but but it'll, it'll be interesting to see kind of how he develops. Uh, I, you know, it's an interesting move. It's not something you really see. I mean, he got in right in time because they just closed that transfer window. Um, so it was, a, it was a pretty unique thing to see. Kind of came out of the blue. Um, you know, Chris and I got word from Chris Hummer that that something was going down, and we kind of worked with him to figure out um, what exactly went down, and, and and that's where that report came from. Um, but I think it's an interesting move, and it just adds you know more depth to that room after CJ Campbell went down for the year um, with a seasoning and season-ending injury. I I do want to caution people from because the name is so intriguing because as a guy Florida State was in at in on. Uh, during the recruiting process and you're familiar with them. Uh, I don't think this is someone who's going to make a huge impact this season. If at all, he has to apply for a waiver because he transferred after, was it May 1st deadline? June 1st. June, June 1st, excuse me, June 1st deadline. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds uh, right. So after the June 1st deadline, uh, FSU would have to apply for a waiver. He'd have to get the waiver. Uh, so we'll see if, if that ends up happening. Uh the belief is that he's brought on uh, because they're they're at 85 scholarships. I believe he's brought on as a as a PWO type for this semester. And then you kind of see, uh, I guess, what the case is next year. So I, I don't think this is a immediate impact type of deal, but this gives you obviously a, a thorough evaluation of a guy who was really highly touted in high school and get to see kind of how he develops uh, this season. Uh, whether it is on the field or or excuse me on the uh, game days field or just practice field, you get a chance to kind of take a look at what uh, he can do. Uh, so there is value to that at a pretty uh, low risk. Let's go to practice this week, fellas. I, I think 
there's a few things I want to get to, including uh, what I believe is a fantastic week of practice for Jordan Travis. But first, let's kind of do updates on some injured players that Coach Norvell has addressed throughout the week. Uh, first being Omari and Cooper. Uh, Chris, he said that that Duke Cooper did not play last week uh, against Duquesne. Uh, that he's hopeful for Cooper to be out uh, in the available this week against LSU. Uh, that feels like that's pretty significant if he is indeed able to play uh, just based on matchups with, with the Tigers and what their strengths are and, and what he can bring to the table physically. Yeah. And Duke's a guy that he said, if he's able to go out there and practice and he's able to do it, I can't actually, I believe it was Adam Fuller that said this on Monday. Mm-hmm. We'll evaluate him from there. Duke's done his part with regards to that. We'll see how the chips fall on Sunday with regards to, you know, can he play? Is he first team? Is he reserve? How are they going to use him? We'll see. We'll learn that. But obviously, it would be very, very important for FSU. He would be crucial. We're obviously going to talk about LSU, but you know, a lot's been made about Kayshawn Booty and uh, Malik Neighbors, among others, in that wide receiver group. And it's going to be important to have your best guys possible out there in the secondary. Another update that I think is pretty noteworthy is uh, that Mike Gravel is encouraged by the progress from center Marie Smith. He also missed the Duquesne game. Uh, there's some practice clips of him doing some snapping uh, out there today. I don't want to get into the specifics on availability and, and whatnot, but uh, it does seem like that's moving in an encouraging direction uh, per the head coach. And again, that is the case if, if he's able to go against LSU and, and able to play like well without being in pain, like that stabilizes a position that has been something we've talked about a good deal this, this preseason uh, is snapping important to you. Uh, Johnny Wilson. Johnny Wilson is another day wide receiver. Yeah, we got a, a little bit of a glimpse at what he could do against Duquesne, and uh, and he's someone who got a little tangled up, had to leave the contest. Mike Ravel said that's someone who wanted to go back into the game uh, against Duquesne. I think that's an encouraging sign that the coach is discussing him wanting to be able to go back. It wasn't a thing that was ruled out immediately. Uh, he was active today at practice, so that's one more uh, potential a piece uh, to the puzzle that you get in uh, against LSU if things continue progressing uh, positively through this week. Uh, the only other note that I want to add is Winston Wright. He's been returning kicks or kickoffs uh, all preseason. Uh, Zach, you got some, you put out a clip of him on social media looking really, really solid. I, I guess that seems like a pretty encouraging development as well. It's been all over the place with this timeline, right? Like we were told over the summer, um, over the off season that, that, you know, his camp expected him kind of be to be back like early on in the season. Um, and then we see him, you know, this week and, and he's returning kicks. So it's a really encouraging thing to see. Um, I mean, you can go check on my Twitter. He, his straight line speed looks really good. I'm really encouraged by that. And I, and I think if you get him back at, in some form or fashion this season, um, you know, I don't know if he gets up to 100% health, but if he does, man, that completely changes the the dynamic of this offense. The progress that he's made in a pretty short time, I think, is encouraging. We'll see. Uh, Mike Norvell hasn't put a timeline on it, but he has remained pretty encouraged that he he's moving in, in the right direction. And I think that's probably the, the best way to phrase it for now. Uh, let's see. You got some comments here. LSU Scooters says LSU will win because we have high quality H2O. I believe that's a Waterboy reference. It's clean. It's cold. And that's what I call high quality H2O. Oh! Uh, fun fact, that was recorded in Orlando, Florida, not Louisiana. So actually, Florida State has the advantage there. I was also uh, in the filming of that movie, but did not make the cut. No hard feelings there. Uh, Alan Ball asks, what kind of pour is worthy of LSU victory? I mean, that's a game changer. I go to the top shelf, whatever you got, whatever the good stuff is. Uh, if you beat LSU, yeah, that 
that's a uh, that changes the trajectory of this program under Mike Novell. In my opinion, it definitely helps out. Let's see. All right, practice this week. Chris, talk me off the ledge here. I guess the positive ledge. I thought Jordan Travis had his best week of practice that we've seen and covered him. Like he was phenomenal throwing the ball. Uh, is that hyperbolic? No, I mean, he was good. He was very good today. He was excellent in that last hour. Mike Norvell referenced that last hour of practice today. It was about exactly what he wants it to look like. After a little bit of a law, they had a great moment. And Jordan kind of led that charge doing some really good things. Jordan's been really steady, very good at a high level. If you listen to Jordan's comments today after practice, it's clear that he's a young man whose confidence is at, is at an all-time high, and that's not cliche. It really is. Also, health-wise, I think he came out of playing a football game healthier than he ever has in his career. And that's a credit to him because he's developed his body and put himself in a better place. It's also a credit to the strength and conditioning staff, nutrition staff, athletic support staff, because they've done a good job, as he put a prehab, that it's allowed him to be prepared to take the battering of a game, but wake up the next day, feel good on his legs, get back out there and do it. Jordan is, he's primed for a breakout moment. It just has to come together. And I'm talking from a national perspective. This provides the opportunity for it. Like this is primetime game. He's ascending. He's training in the right direction. Uh, Justin in the chat says, I'm always saying that jokes that I'm always saying that JT has had his best week. Um, just because he keeps getting better, man. I don't know what you want me to tell you there. He Zach Byers. This is the best week of practice you've seen from Jordan Travis since you've been out there covering him. You weren't there for that one day before Jacksonville. Yeah, that, that was, um, well, that wasn't a week of practice. That was one. This has been two days of practice. Yeah, he was on a heater that day, and he was unbelievable. I was not there. Okay, best week, maybe. I actually haven't – I've had to leave both practices early because I've had class. Um, so I feel like I've, I've had like half the sample size. I didn't really get to watch a lot of the inside stuff today. Um, but from what I saw in one-on-ones, man, he was on point. So um, I, I, it was up there. Not to cut off Zach like I just did, but I think the thing people need to understand about Jordan is that his grasp of everything they want to do, can do, and expect to do, it's natural for him. There's no longer any thinking going on. It's just go and do it, and he can do it at a high level, and he believes in his ability to do it, and he's also got better weapons. We've talked about this a ton since the spring, but they're a much better offensive skill football team than they were a year ago, and it's noticeable in what he's capable of doing because he's improved but the people he's throwing it to, the people he's using, the people blocking it up for him, the people running the ball, those groups are all better as well. All right, Nixon, just got to tell you this. At least we didn't uh, we didn't mislead you to say there was a potential quarterback battle brewing. Just going to leave it at that. Leave it at that. So FSU enters this game as a three-point underdog. Uh, Tomorrow, I believe, we're going to have a podcast up with Dane and Trey. They'll go in-depth about LSU. You get to to know thy is it foe. What are we doing? What's it called? Know thy I believe foe? that's what he's gone with, yeah. I think there's no no the opponent. opponent. Yeah, I'm not sure. There's a lot of that going around these days. Uh, so that'll be on our uh, Beyond the Bench, kind of the, the branch off of OTB, but it'll be on the OTB feed. But uh, really good feedback on the Duquesne game that Dane was able to provide some insight on. So there'll be a more thorough look at LSU, uh, but we will go into a little bit of a preview of this contest and more specifically, I think how we think FSU matches up uh, against the Tigers. So again, Seminoles three point underdog. Let's start off on LSU's offense. And when Florida state's on defense, I guess, Chris, I'll start off with you. Like what gives you uh, 
some comfort when the Seminoles are on defense and what is a cause for, for concern? Comfort comes from the fact that Mike Norvell, Adam Fuller have a familiarity with Brian Kelly, head coach from his time at Notre Dame, as well as offensive quarter, Mike Denbrock. They met him a couple times in 2019. So there there's a known to what they like to do schematically, what they like to employ, how they like to do it. The unknown is what do they do with the weapons they have at their disposal at LSU? Obviously LSU has very good wide receivers. I think the other positive is FSU's strength is their defensive line, the front porch, as we like to call it. LSU's rolling out there with a relatively new offensive line with a freshman left tackle, albeit an extremely talented one. FSU can potentially attack that offensive line and find some success there. If they're able to do that, get Jade and Daniels a little uncomfortable, it's an interesting dynamic. Where am I concerned about FSU when LSU's on offense? It's the wide receivers for LSU. They're extremely talented. You know, I referenced uh, Booty earlier. Neighbors is another one. They're just a couple of the guys in that group who I really like. I'm interested. Do we think, how, sorry, Chris, do we think it's Booty or Boutte? Uh, I believe it's Booty. I think it's Boutte. Mm. Their guide, their guide has it as boo, and then T E E lowercase. Boutte, yeah, yeah. Great. Everyone I've heard says boutte, but I guess I know. But I'm trying to go with the guide. I'm trying to be better here. That yeah, could be the like on the wrong last name for two years. I'm trying to be Fortier. better. People, it's like you guys Fortier. are finally calling me Portier. Yeah, I enjoyed that moment. It brought but, a uh, Portier to his eye. I'm interested. Brian Kelly's loves him some tight ends. We know that. That's a tradition of his from Notre Dame. Obviously, Notre Rudy. Dame has great tight end tradition. I'm interested if that carries over at LSU because they don't really have guys that have produced at that position. But uh, Jason Taylor's son, Mason Taylor, who's from St. Thomas Aquinas, a true freshman, I'm interested if he's kind of, a, a, I guess, a wild card or an X factor in this game. Wild I am card. interested in that. All righty. Uh, Zach, what about you? Same thing. Uh, you – in speaking to you, I guess off record, I won't I won't uh, air anything too much. But uh, you were a little concerned about the LSU wide receiver versus FSU cornerback matchup earlier today. Yeah, I mean, I think that receiver room is really deep. Um, I mean, they you got like the guys like like Chris mentioned, Kayshawn Boutte or Booty. Um, I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up currently. Kayshawn yes. Boutte, um, Malik Neighbors. The, the, I mean, there's a bunch of guys in that room. Um, and then you, add, you they added a transfer from Louisiana, Kyron Lacey, who had um, a really productive season this past season. And he's like probably like their fourth, fifth best receiver on that team. So um, they've got some talent. The question mark to me is I think like that matchup is a mismatch. I think the, the receivers for LSU match up well against a secondary for Florida State that is struggling some with injury. Um, they have some deficiencies that we saw in the first game. Um, so some guys got kind of bullied a little bit against an FCS opponent, not consistently on um, the defense as a whole played well. Um, but I, I think, don't think, I think, bull, I think bullied is, is a little hyperbole. Okay. Some, there were some plays, <laughs> specific plays. Um, they got booted, booted, they got booted. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's the matchup to watch. Um, that's the most important match, matchup in my opinion. Everyone's gonna say, Oh, the defensive line, offensive line. If you can s- slow down that passing game with all those talented receivers, I think you give your, your, yourself a shot at this uh, at, at a win. Um, I, I think the the factor there is is also getting to the quarterback, right? Like I think um, Jaden Daniels is elusive in the pocket. I mean that's probably one of the reasons why um, he, he's. I mean everyone over there pretty much expects him to start. I think they might play both quarterbacks in the game. Kind of sounds like what what they might do, but. Um, Jaden Daniels seems like the guy for them. 
Um, and I mean, FSU is just going to have to get home on, on pass rush. Um, and I think, uh, I, I don't know how, like, I'm not sure about their offensive line. Like I, I don't, I know Miles Frazier. I watched some of his film from FIU when, when he was in the portal and FSU was kind of interested there, but not really. Um, and then obviously they got that left tackle, um, who is a really good true freshman, um, but he's also a true freshman playing in his first game. So, um, you know, I, I kind of like that matchup for Jared Verse or Derek McClendon, whoever's on that outside. Um, and I think FSU's D-line has a chance to eat, um, but it's going to be a wait and see. I mean, they had they had a test against Duquesne. They weren't really letting them get, you know, get in the backfield just because of how fast they were getting the ball out to the to their receivers. Um, and, and they were handing the ball off a, a decent bit, too. So um, it's going to be a true test on all levels of, of FSU's team. But yeah, that receiver room for LSU is really the thing I'm concerned about the most. Okay, we got some breaking news here, fellas. It's Kayshawn Boutte, B-O-O-T-A-Y. What's up, Chris? Boutte, not Boutte. Hey, take it up with the LSU game notes because they definitely have them. I'm going to send it to you. I'm telling you, they have them in there as this. There you go. This is good. We didn't hear it. I'm just, I, I sent it to you. He can put it. He can put it on a scroll. That's exactly how they have it in the LSU game notes. Trust me, I looked because I have heard both, and I wasn't sure. And I love to eviscerate names, so I was trying to get it right for once. A um, couple receivers we didn't mention who I think are worth a mention: Jack Besh. He was a freshman last year. He led them in receptions. He had forty-three last year. He's kind of a tight end converted to receiver. I think he's full-time receiver now, but he's a guy that is sort of reliable for them. Brian Thomas is a kid they beat out of Alabama for. Pretty talented dude. He was a freshman last year as well. Had 28 for 359, two touchdowns. And then the storyline of them that's not talked about a lot, John Emery is suspended for the first two games. Running back Noah Kane or Monty Goodwin. Kane's a Penn State transfer. Goodwin was a freshman last year. Neither has been ultra productive in their limited time in Goodwin's case or in Kane's time with Penn State. Kind of became less and less for him there before the transfer. I don't know how good their running game is going to be. Um, especially if FSU is effective at containing Daniels if he wants to extend plays with his legs. Uh, Chris is correct based on what he sent us. It's Booty there. So we have controversy. Booty or Booty? I think we got the name of the podcast. I think we know what it's going to be. It's the feed. Booty or Booty? Also, my family. My family. Can you guys do your your uh, Kelly impersonation? Your Cajun Kelly. Chris, you first. No, I'm not here to do Cajun Kelly. My family. <laughs> So ridiculous. I'm here with my family. Uh, Brian Kelly decided, Cajun Kelly decided not to name a starting quarterback, said it was a tactical advantage uh, for his program. Uh, Florida State did a similar thing last year with uh, KZ and NJ Trav uh, going up against Notre Dame. So a little bit of gamesmanship there between these two coaches. Uh, they've been pretty competitive and fiery with each other in each of the last two years, too. I think that's like an underlying storyline. Uh, that I'm kind of interested to see, especially now that like Mike Norvell feels like he probably has a little bit more at his disposal from a, an offensive skill uh, position standpoint. Like, yeah, that, that'll be fun. Uh, we talked a little bit about LSU's offensive line. That's something that Dane will get into more tomorrow, I'm sure. But it, it's totally revamped. Like their starting tackle last year at center now. Uh, his snapping important to you guys. Like apparently that's been a little up and down in preseason camp. Uh, they have... Uh, so like they're moving like guards to tackle. It's all just totally revamped. 
Uh, but the interesting storyline, I think, as applies to like what could give you comfort if, if Florida State's able to get home, and Jared Verse or Dennis Briggs, whoever's lined up over him, is that LSU starting a true freshman at left tackle? Yeah, Will Campbell. Will Campbell. I was going to say Will Compton, and I didn't remember the Will, name. And I he, think he was uh, number four offensive tackle in last year's class, number 27 overall prospect in class. He's well thought of, and he's a kid that kind of sol- solidly took that position for a lengthy period of time. That's not one of those where it's like, oh, I don't know who we're going with. We're going with the young guy. No, he he had – there were people speaking two, three, four weeks ago about him in camp as being the starting left tackle. That's not some uh, short window development for them. So some more depth on the offensive line for them. I believe it's uh, eight returning players on the line with a combined 28 starts. So they have some guys that have it. They'll have a bench with a few guys that have started games. Marlon Martinez, Xavier Hill, Cardell Thomas, Charles Turner, Marcus Dumerville. And then they got a guy like Tremont Shorts. He's another transfer that they brought in who can be a reserve guard for them, or Emery Jones, who's a very talented freshman for them. So they do have depth on their offensive line. It's just they don't have a guy who I would say is sort of the dude who's like the solid pillar of it. Cameron Wire probably fits that role the best. He's a senior. 10 starts in 22 games, he'll be on the right tackle side opposite of Will Campbell. Let's switch to the other side of the ball. So when Florida State is on offense and LSU is on defense, uh, what gives you guys comfort and what creates some concern? Let's start off negative. What concerns you? Offensive line versus the defensive front, right? I think we're all on the same page there. Yeah. Go for it. I I mean, it's – I mean, that's what everyone talks about, right? Like LSU's defensive line is considered elite. Um, they have multiple guys coming back with some production. A lot of it's based on on potential. Um, guys that were ranked highly out of high school that are now getting their time to shine. Um, Mason Smith is one of those guys. He kind of got some burn last season and looked really good um, in, in his limited reps. Um, Jacqueline Roy is another one. Dane will get into all the personnel tomorrow, um, more of it. Um, but they have a solid defensive line at the very least they're going to be um, creating some pressure. Um, You know, I think they can be a real problem for FSU. Um, We'll see. I mean, I, I think we talked about this at length, like FSU's offensive line does look better from a competency standpoint. I know this is a big topic of debate between Dane and I at practice um, today and from a talent standpoint, but how much have they grown? This is the test. This is where we will see, where's FSU's offensive line stand um, on Sunday night. I mean, it's going to be a packed house with a bunch of LSU fans, pretty much a home game for them um, with their defense. Uh, I'm sure create, you know, trying to create a lot of pressure. And, you know, I, I worry a little bit about it um, just because I think uh, we saw this kind of last year with Clemson. Um, obviously this is a different offensive line, um, but, but FSU had a really scheme completely around um you know the passing game like jordan travis like really um i mean they took away his ability to run because they were constantly getting pressure um and, and they they were able to do some stuff right like with, with running backs slipping out of the backfield um some yeah and we've seen some of that so i don't know i think uh i think it'll be tough for fsu to, to go against that defensive front um the thing that's not talked about a lot i think like um, people are, you know, kind of saying that the LSU's defensive backfield, um, there, there are a lot of new faces, right? They get, they got the two guys, Jay Ward and, and major Burns that are expected to, to start for them, I believe at the state, the two safety spots. And then, um, I, you know, the corners and, and I mean that a lot of that, that corner room is, is transfer, uh, driven. I think they got a guy from Oklahoma state, 
from Arkansas. Um, so we'll see how those guys fit into the to the puzzle, kind of um, getting in late. Um, and, and, you know, they've never really played all together before. So I guess that's the one knock on them. Um, but, the, but all those guys that they brought in were talented at their previous stops, had production at their previous stops. So it'll be a key to look at on whether they can kind of carry that over um, to, to this defense and, and whether they work together um, and that synergy is, is on point. Yeah, so the secondary, the cornerbacks, expected starters are Jarek Bernard Convars. He's a career college football player, 47 career starts, 51 career appearances when he was with Oklahoma State. He's transferred in. Makai Gardner is likely to be the other starting corner. Uh, he came from Louisiana Lafayette. He's a 19 career starts and 26 appearances. So two guys who have played a heck of a lot of college ball. Both are very capable. Their backups are Colby Richardson, had 23 starts at McNeese and seven banks, familiar name, state of Florida kid, 14 starts at Ohio State. So all four of those guys, their primary two deep at the cornerback spots are all transfers for them. And then the nickel position is going to be manned by senior Greg Brooks Jr. He also transferred in. He came from Arkansas. He's backed up by Sage Ryan, a kid that FSU actually recruited, a very talented athletic youngster. Sage played some last year, so he's a capable reserve for them. You mentioned Ward and Burns at safety spots. Combined 19 career starts between the two of them, with Ward having 14 of those 19 starts. And then Joe Fouché, familiar name. He was at Arkansas. He transferred in. He's the next backup there at safety spot. So whole lot of new guys in that secondary. Plenty of talent, plenty of experience. The big question with them is how are they going to play as a group? How are they going to play together when they're passing things off? when they're, you know, playing zone, there's just so much rhythm, timing, comfort that comes with experience of playing with one another. We saw it with FSU last season, for example, the secondary got better as guys played with each other more and more down the stretch, but there was also a heck of a lot of growing pains early in the year of guys just not understanding how another, another guy playing over the right or left shoulder was going to play or how guys were going to hand guys off. They weren't real good at. So it was one of those things where it took time to figure out. I'm interested how LSU does first time out and how much FSU tests them. That's also kind of a big question. Is FSU going to be aggressive in the passing game? And that probably comes down to your other point, the offensive line versus the defensive line. You know, Mason Smith is a kid that plenty has been made of. It's more hype than reality to this point in time from a production standpoint. 19 tackles, five tackles for loss, four sacks last year. But he's a monster. He was a high-level recruit. He is a kid they expect to take the next step as a sophomore. Uh, Jacqueline Roy, who's the other defensive tackle, other nose guy, he's preseason only SEC for them. So he is a guy that's very highly thought of, been productive in his career, 22 career games, 10 tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. B.J. Ojari is a kid, Aziz's little brother. Aziz is in the NFL. B.J. is not far behind. He's going to be joining him at the next level. Uh, B.J. is probably an All-American type candidate, certainly an All-SEC selection. Super productive guy. He plays what they call their jack. They're more of a 3-4 scheme. So he's their jack. He's kind of their aggressive downhill guy. 16 and a half tackles for loss, 11 sacks over the past two seasons for LSU. And then Ali Gay is the other defensive end type for them. He's a super senior, pretty experienced. High-level tackle guy, 51 tackles in 14 games there. It's also at four and a half sacks. So that front is what kind of sets the tone for them. Um, you know, the group of four that we just spoke about there, 43 and a half tackles for loss and 23 sacks in their career at LSU. So plenty of production. Very, very good. It's a massive test for FSU's offensive line. I'm interested what FSU does to help their O-line, whether that's 
max protection, multiple tight ends in the game, multiple backs in the game, or if they try to get rid of the ball quickly, or if they try to work to the edges more to neutralize them, it's going to be very interesting, the uh, game plan, the way FSU goes about attacking them and what they try to do. If FSU is trying to be a passing team, they probably need to keep people in to help that. But obviously that limits your options with DBs down the field who are going to be able to cover in a multitude of ways. Or if FSU, FSU tries to run right at them, you know, can they do that? That's a massive question mark for me because, you know, that would be FSU proving something more than what they've been historically against a very, very good defensive front. I think back to last year's Clemson game and how it mount, outmatched Florida State's offensive line was against a really talented defensive front. Uh, fair to say Florida State's offensive line, even with some unknowns entering the game, I think is in much better shape, as Zach mentioned earlier, than it was last year, especially at that point of the season. Dylan Gibbons didn't practice much that week, if at all, if I recall correctly. Uh, he was dealing with some lingering issues. Uh, Devontae Love-Taylor was struggling. Uh, so you're really kind of just patchwork trying to to get by that week. I don't think that's going to be the case here. You have better depth. You have more experienced players you brought in from the transfer portal. Uh, but what happened in that game, Florida State, after getting you know that little nice play at Lawrence Till Philly, which I'll get into in, in a minute, uh, the Seminoles really had to empty the backfield and just basically declare, like, this is who's in the box as a potential blitzer. This isn't by goalie with five wide receiver sets a lot. Or, or spreading out the field a little bit. And that was to help out Jordan Travis make quicker decisions. Uh, his numbers ended up being fine that game, uh, but you really took away the balance that you want to have in a Mike Norvell offense. So I, I think it'll be interesting to watch because Chris mentioned you might like try to, to pack it in a little bit, have multiple tight ends and whatnot. If, if you see that throughout the game, I think that's a good thing because that means you're not having to completely wave the white flag and go one-dimensional. Uh, as, as it applies to a comfort perspective of this. And I agree with both you guys, the defensive line versus the offensive line is a concern for me. I'm really interested to see what Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins can do creatively to get their running backs in one-on-one situations, whether it's running the ball and getting them to the perimeter or getting one-on-ones like with the safety uh, and, and seeing if those guys can make you know, higher end defenders miss or in the passing game as well. It's something that we didn't see much of this past week against Duquesne. We know it's in the arsenal. I referenced the Lord's toe Philly play last year against Clemson. LSU's linebackers aren't fantastic by any means. Uh, Mike Jones, who Chris isn't. Mike, Mike Jones Jr. and then Greg Penn the third. Oh. Oh, no, it was a who, Mike Jones. I'm not playing your childish games tonight, Sinone. I'm going to put in all these clips and edit them in so people have fun on the back end and then. But Mike Jones, like, probably like a like a replacement level player. He's not fantastic. He's fine. He's not a liability. Uh, Chris mentioned Greg Head. He's someone who struggled mightily as a true freshman last year. They used him rotationally. He got his first career start against Kansas State and was awful. I think PFF graded him out at 32. Uh, he was really exposed there. Now, I'm sure there will be some progress from, from last year playing as a true freshman for a coaching staff that was discombobulated to now having some stability this offseason, having more reps. But still, uh, until that group proves that it's – it's solid. Uh, I think that's something that Florida State could potentially take advantage of. I'm very interested to see what this coaching staff does and whether you can get that three-headed monster of, of Lawrence Toa Philly, Trey Benson, uh, and Treshawn Ward going a little bit. Uh, that'll be interesting to see. All right, so that's our analysis. That's what we got for this matchup from a personnel standpoint. Again, beyond the bench tomorrow with Dane and Trey will be more thorough look at LSU's personnel, returning talent, whatnot. Let's finish this up, fellas. Score prediction. Uh, we will do a full staff prediction 
on Saturday morning. So you'll get to hear what AB and Kev, Trey, Brett, everyone uh, gets to say. We'll see if Trey makes a day do another score prediction this upcoming week on the podcast. And if Dan can handle being asked what he thinks the score score is because apparently that caught him off that caught him off guard, which okay. It's a podcast about an opponent. Uh, anyways, score prediction. Uh, who's not going to be caught off guard? Chris, do you want to go first with your score prediction? No, no, you know what? No, you think about it. I know what Zach's going to do. Zach, you go first. You little Wait, I thought we were answer. putting this in a story. We're doing we're, <laughs> we're saying it now. We'll put it in the story. We're You're allowed to change it too, Zach. We're, yeah, we're living loose and free um, here. Hedge some bets, right, man. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. Spread it off. Don't kill me. But I'm going to be more on the side of I don't think FSU's defensive backfield can compete for four quarters with LSU's receivers. Um, that's my opinion. And then I think the D-line outmatches FSU's O-line, um, like I said, through four quarters, right? Like we're playing a full football game. All those guys have to be out there, right? Like the starting unit is going to have to be out there that whole time. So I think they wear down um, FSU's O-line, and I don't trust FSU's defensive backfield to consistently – stop that passing game um i think it can, has the chance to be really high powered i don't think they light up the scoreboard um but if i had to predict right now it'd be 34 lsu fsu 21 lopsided all right so you definitely gonna put your money where your mouth is then with the fsu as a three-point underdog right i don't gamble sorry <laughs> All right, uh, folks, feel free to put your prediction in the chat here. I'll throw those up on the screen if you want. Uh, Chris, what do we got, big boy? I, Sorry, I, I feel the opposite of Zach here. I, I don't think by no stretch I think FSU is I'm not being a homer. I, I don't get the belief that LSU is some juggernaut going into this game. There's so many new pieces, so much unknown for LSU. They have so much to figure out. They may turn out to be really, really good, especially by the end of the year when things gel and they get figured out. But first game out of the shoot, I'm not convinced that they're going to be, you know, unbelievable. I think they're going to play their backside off. The crowd's going to be more in their favor. They're going to play aggressively. The defense is legitimate. They're going to be able to keep the scoring down, I think. But I think FSU wins this one. I, I'm, I guess I'll go about 28-24-ish is a ballpark I'm feeling like. I, I, I don't think that either team is going to smoke the other. I do think it's a toss-up. I think the line leans into that. You know, it's basically a home game for them. They get two points for that, so it's a one-point game in their favor at this point based on Vegas, really. I know it's a three-point line, though, for people that are wondering what I'm saying. I I just – I'm not – I think FSU is going to try to dictate terms, and I'm very interested if they can effectively do that. And by what I mean by that is I'm interested if FSU goes out and does what they want to do instead of having to respond to what LSU is doing. All right, Chris. I also am going to go with a score of 28 to 24. We're in the same Z's. But I have LSU winning 28-24. So this is how I view it. I think Florida State has a better chance to blow out LSU uh, than it does to be blown out. Uh, I'm not with Zach where I think this is a double-digit game that Florida State loses. Uh, everything we've seen from this program in the last since last October has been that it either wins games or is competitive. Uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of blowout, and, and I don't think that LSU has quite the weapons uh, throughout the entire offense, maybe through the air, but 
I don't trust Jaden Daniels until I see that he's well removed from 2021 version of him when he had 10 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Uh, that offensive line being kind of patchwork does concern me. Some, if I'm an LSU fan, uh, there are the signs there that I just don't, I don't think LSU is going to hang 35 points on Florida state. I think Florida state's going to be creative enough and effective enough on offense to where it'll get into the twenties. Uh, with that in mind, I do think LSU has more difference makers, more star power on its roster, both in the trenches on defensive line and that wide receiver. I want to talk about premium positions, uh, quarterback, wide receiver, defensive end, cornerback. Uh, I think LSU has an advantage out of three out of four of those position groups uh, in terms of matchups. So I will go with LSU to win a close game against Florida State, but I would not be surprised if Florida State was able to win by 10 or so points and, and win somewhat comfortably if it is able to dictate terms like Chris mentioned. I'd be very surprised if Florida State lost by 10 or so. I, I don't think that's what we're going to see. So uh, that's my prediction. Do you have anything else? We good? All right, fellas, let's get out of here. Let's go watch the backyard brawl. I guess it already started an hour ago. I thought it was starting at eight. Missed 50 minutes of it. UCS probably right up 100 nothing and on en route to another national title. So it's all good. All right. Thanks everyone for joining us for On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. Been joined by Zach Blostein, Chris Nee. Peace out, everyone. We'll talk to you guys later. Uh, for those going to New Orleans, safe travels. Uh, enjoy a hand grenade on me. Not on me. I'm not painting or anything. Sticking to landing. Getting the wrap-up music. My family. My family. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.